We're teaching a series on uh, God and miracles. We've entitled it God and Miracles. And we've looked um, uh, for several weeks at some of the miracles of the Old Testament. We certainly didn't cover them all. But um, uh, we looked at several of them. And uh, today we've kind of worked ourselves into the, to the place where we can start talking about New Testament miracles. Now, I, I hate to be uh, defeatist, but I know there are some of you that like to write down everything I say and every scripture reference I've got, and, and you just don't have a chance in the world today. <laughs> We're going to be reading a lot of scripture, and uh, I have the advantage of having them written down in my iPad ahead of time. So um, for those of you that, that are, you like to make lists so you can check off the things on your list, uh, just just give up. Just <laughs> just sit back and enjoy yourself today and buy the CD afterwards if you need to, and, and uh, we'll work from there. We used uh, started using as a text scripture in the beginning of this series, Psalm 77, verse 14, where David writes and says, Thou art the God that doeth wonders. That word wonders is also translated miracles. Thou art the God that doeth miracles. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. A miracle is the declaration of God's strength among his people. Now, there are several definitions that we could use and, and have, have mentioned concerning miracles. The, uh, the general definition in church circles is a miracle is um, divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. Someone has expanded on that or, or changed it a little bit. It's really the same meaning but just different words where... God injects into the physical realm something from the immaterial realm. I like that. Because that causes me to realize and be aware that the the spiritual realm, the unseen realm, is just as real. In fact, even more real than the material realm, the physical realm that we dwell in. It's easy to forget that. It's easy to get caught up in the things of life and bills and aches and pains in your body and difficulties in relationships and interactions with other people, it's easy to forget that the unseen realm is more real than that which we can see. But the Bible says that everything that we see in this material and natural realm was created by something that was unseen. Well, that which creates is greater than that which is created, which means the unseen realm is greater than the seen or the material realm. Now, the question, I mean, we could talk about uh, and, and excite ourselves about the things that God has done, and, and there's certainly benefit in that. But the bigger question for me is why. I always want to know why. I've always been that way. I don't just want to know what. I want to know why. Well, why miracles? Why does God do miracles? What's the purpose for them? We saw in Num- Numbers chapter 14, verses, uh, well, verse 11 and then uh, a few verses later on in the chapter, the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be before they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown them. Verse 21 and 22 go on to say, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. So we see from the Old Testament that God said, these are the words of the Lord himself. God said that miracles were intended to make you believe. Well, believe what? In their case, believe his voice, believe his word. Miracles are not an end in themselves. Miracles are designed to communicate. Now, we saw over and over again, beginning with the uh, 
the miracles in, uh, in Egypt, the, what's commonly known as the ten plagues. Really, it was nine plagues and the death of the firstborn. We saw that each of those nine plagues was a judgment, God's judgment upon one of the, the gods of the heathen, the Egyptians in this case. And we saw that pattern re- uh, repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Time and time again, God would do something to exact judgment or execute judgment upon one of the gods of the heathens, the heathen people, to show that he was the most high God, to show that he was the power that created the universe, the creator of the universe himself. And over and over again, God did that. Now, that's not the only reason that he did miracles. We saw miracles of protection for his people and provision for those that feared his name and, and so forth. number of other reasons and causes. But over and over and over again, the, 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 underlying, the underlying theme is that nothing's too hard for God and that he can be trusted. You know, it's an, it's an interesting thing because uh, I know that... Um, um, there's a lot of misunderstanding in the body of Christ about this thing called faith. And, and rightly so. I understand why there's, there's understanding. Faith is difficult to define because faith is having confidence in what you don't see. Most people don't have any confidence in anything they don't see. And so to deal with something that is of a spiritual nature and try to bring it into natural terms, that's a difficult concept. It's difficult for many to get a hold of. It's, many for di- it's difficult for many to grasp. And so uh, consequently, in the teaching of faith, we see that many of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed on their own faith. At least Jesus credited their faith as the healing agent rather than the power of God, which just simply means that their faith activated the power that was available. But so often people will come to the place where the, the devil will bring them under condemnation or at least attempt to. And their, their question is, do we have enough faith? Pastor Mike, I don't know if I have enough faith to receive my healing. Well, if you think about it, it's really not a matter of can, do you have enough faith or can you believe enough? The real question is, is God honest? Because if his word says something is so, then the question very simply becomes, is God honest? Did he tell the truth? Miracles are designed for us to see the power of God, to see the mercy of God in action, his willingness to show himself strong on behalf of his people so that we would know that God is honest and accept him at his word. For me, that helps. When I think of things in simple terms, I'm sorry, I'm just a simple guy. But when I think of things in simple terms, that helps me because I'm just like you and everybody else, I guess. The devil tries to, to twist you up in knots mentally. If he can trap you in his mind games, many times he can defeat you. But if we realize that it comes down to one simple thing, one simple truth, and that is God is honest. If he says so, he means so. That's what miracles were designed in the Old Testament to do, to cause the people to believe his word. Miracles were not an end in in and of themselves. They were designed to make the people of God or enable the people of God to believe that God was honest, to trust his word. Well, what about in the New Testament? Does God change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? No, but many things about what belongs to us does. Many of those things change. The New Testament miracles are designed to communicate just like in the Old Testament. Well, what are they designed to communicate? Well, let's start reading some scripture. In Mark chapter 6, verse 49 and 50, 
It says, but when they saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51 goes on to say, and he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse 52, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves and the fishes for their heart was hardened. Now, here's a case where the Bible's telling us that they were supposed to learn something from a miracle that would have helped them. They're in the middle of the sea. They're afraid they're going to drown. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're afraid to see him. He cries out and says, don't be afraid. It's just me. Naturally. That's where I always expect to see Jesus when I get out in the middle of a lake. But please notice the, the, the emphasis behind this. Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's just me. Sure. He came up into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were amazed because they didn't learn from the miracle. What are, what's the, the truth here? What's the takeaway for us? We should never be amazed. Because all things are possible with him. John 2 verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day. Many believed in his names, in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. The miracles caused them to believe in his name. John chapter 3 and verse 2. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He learned that God was with Jesus because of the miracles. John chapter 6 and verse 2, And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did upon them that were diseased. People followed Jesus because they saw his miracles. So they communicated something, at the very least, that he was worth following. John chapter 6 verse 14, Then these men which they had seen the miracles, talking about the loaves and the fishes, that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet, meaning the Messiah, that should come into the world. So the, miracles of, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, multiplying the loaves and fishes and feeding the 5,000, convinced many that he was the Messiah. John chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus answered another group and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, seek me not because you saw the miracles but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. You're just here for another free meal. What they learn from the miracles? Nothing. John chapter 7, verse 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ comes, will he do more miracles than these which this man has done? John chapter 9, verse 16. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. John chapter 11, verses 47 and 48. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What will we do? For this man doeth many miracles. Oh, woe is me. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. 
And the Romans will come away, come, shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Can't have miracles. That's a political problem. John chapter 12, verse 17. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard he had done this miracle. That drew the crowds. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. John chapter 15, verse 24. Jesus said, if I had not done... He's talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross. He said, if I had not done among them the works which no other man did, they would have not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. He said the miracles were that which would convict man of his own sin. John chapter 20 and verse 30 John is closing out the the gospel that bears his name. And he said, in many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. We don't have a complete picture of everything Jesus did from the gospels. But these are written, verse 31, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John tells us why the Holy Ghost inspired him to give us record of the miracles which he did. And and he really gives us a bunch. Many of them that the the other gospel writers do not record or give us record of. And what did he say the reason was? He said, but these are written. These miracles are written down or are communicated to you. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. So what's he saying? He's saying... The reason for miracles, according to the Holy Ghost through John's writings, the reason for miracles is to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God and thereby enter into the kingdom of heaven. Can I ask you a question? Were miracles intended to end? If miracles are that which convince us that Jesus is the Son of God, what about those that haven't been born again? Are there no miracles to convince them? Is it too bad for them? Was that just for those that lived in the days of the apostles, the early days of the church? And those of us that got saved after that, we just had to be convinced rather in some other way rather than seeing the power of God? Well, I know that's the case for many. Is that the way God intended it to be? Folks, realize that every work that Jesus did was miraculous, although not everything is identified as a miracle. For example, we can see the difference between a healing, something that someone amends, a condition that someone amends or recovers from, and the difference in that and turning water into wine or walking on the water or multiplying loaves and fishes. It's easy for us to see the difference in, in some cases at least. The difference between healing and, and, uh, and miracles. But realize even healing, even a natural recovery is a miraculous act. There were cases where Peter's mother-in-law, for example, in Matthew chapter 8. Peter, uh, after Jesus came into Peter's house, his, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She had a fever and so he touched her. 
and the fever went away. Well, what is that? That's a miraculous act that helps the natural healing process. See, the body is designed to heal itself. A fever is specifically designed to heat the body to to burn up whatever invading germ there is so the body can recover. The Bible speaks of fevers in the Old Testament and the, the part of the curse of the law. We assume that those fevers are eruptive fevers like scarlet fever or typhoid fever. Well, those things are caused by bacteria. So someone that would recover from a scarlet fever or, or typhoid fever and understand in, in uh, the days when the Bible was written, there were, uh, according to medical documents that we have from the same age and so forth, fevers were divided into small and great. That's all they had. So a great fever we would assume would be something like scarlet fever or typhoid fever or something along those lines. A small fever would be something like that which takes place when a germ tries to invade your body and your body reacts to it. It's a natural healing process. Now, folks, everything we've got in the medical science realm, everything that we have in the medical science realm is simply trying to aid the body in its natural healing process. That's all I got. Thank God we have that. I'm convinced that medical science has kept a lot of Christians alive to where they could learn who Jesus is and believe him. And in many cases, medical science concerning surgeries and and the like, many medications and such, it's trying to remove the barrier that prevents the body from the natural healing process on its own, whether it be a cancerous tumor or whatever the case is. But the body is designed in a miraculous way. It's designed to heal itself. But even in cases where Jesus ministered healing and people just recovered, not a case of instant healing, but they recovered. It was the touch of Jesus' hand or the speaking of the words of Jesus himself that caused that natural healing process to either accelerate or whatever barrier was keeping the natural healing process from taking place to be removed. Everything Jesus did was a miracle in the, in the general sense. Everything. Every healing that takes place now is a miracle in a general sense. Now, these things were not exclusive to Jesus when he was here on the earth. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, it says, When he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against or over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Just a little while later in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the seventy. He said, and into whatsoever city, this is Luke 10, 8, into whatsoever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. They returned in verse 17 with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Mark 9, verses 38 and 39 tell us that it wasn't even limited to Jesus' group. And John answered, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he follows not us. He's not part of our group. That means he's not certainly not part of the 12. He's not part of the 70. He's not part of the ones that hang around Jesus. Most Bible scholars agree that it was anywhere from 100 to 150 people around Jesus most of the time. That he was pr- primarily responsible for their care. He said, we told him, we forbid him because he followed us not. But Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name and can lightly speak evil of me. So Jesus called casting out devils a miracle. 
And according to the words of Jesus, these miracles were intended to continue. John chapter 14, verse 11 and 12, speaking to his disciples, he said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Believe in who I am if for the miracles, if nothing else. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Jesus seems to be indicating, this is right before he goes to the cross. This is the night that he's betrayed. He seems to indicate that he expects the miracles to continue after he goes to the Father. This is further confirmed in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus, following his resurrection, after he's breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Ghost, after the, the disciples have been born again, he tells them, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So what does that mean? I like the way John Osteen used to say this. I, I just This stuck with me the first time I ever heard him say it. He's telling, Jesus is telling his disciples after they're born again, don't even think about having church without the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Ghost is poured out in Acts chapter 2. Peter begins to preach to the crowds. And he says in verse 22, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Miracles are God's sign of approval. That's not the only one. Paul wrote to the Timothy and he said, Show yourself approved. Study and show yourself approved a workman that's fit for the work of the ministry. By rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 43 tells us what the result of these things were. The preaching that Jesus did miracles. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Folks I want you to notice God's pattern. Preach that Jesus did miracles and then do them yourself. In case you're wondering why we're preaching on miracles. This is God's pattern. Jesus did them. The power of the Holy Ghost has come upon the church. So the work that was intended to be done is to continue in miracles. Acts chapter 4 verse 16. The council after the, the, the disciples, Peter and John, healed the cripple at the beautiful gate. The council said, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem and we can't deny it. Now, folks, this is just me. This is just my human thinking. But there's something about this that makes me think God gets a special charge out of notable miracles that men can't deny. Now, now notice something else about this. And that is, even as we saw some scripture that showed that, uh, that Jesus didn't hog the miracle power for himself, that is so far into our natural way of thinking. See, naturally, we want to have the power to do miracles, and we kind of want a monopoly on it. Oh, Lord, let us have miracles. Now, I don't mean everywhere, just in our church. Let us be known as the miracle people. Lord, use me. I want to do miracles. I don't want the other guy down the street to do miracles. I don't want everybody else to do miracles because then it won't look like I've got something special. 
But that's totally opposite the way that Jesus operated. That's natural human thinking. That's trying to make a name out of the things of God for yourself. Jesus had the monopoly on miracles. And what did he do? He made a way for everybody else to use them too. Did others using the power of God, doing miracles in Jesus' name, was that, did that in any way diminish people believing that Jesus was the Messiah? Didn't seem to. It just spread the results around so that more people were exposed to the truth. What if his attitude is the same about that now? They have no reason to think it's otherwise. Acts chapter 4, verse 30, after the council lets Peter and John go, they go to their own company, and they pray a prayer that the Holy Ghost saved us. Now, I'm one to think that God saves prayers that were prayed according to his will and not ones prayed according or against his will. And here's their prayer. Lord, grant unto thy servants boldness by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. What was the result of that? Verse 33 says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What did that power look like? Acts chapter 5 verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. It goes on to tell how the, the, the casting of Peter's shadow, the overshadowing of Peter, just Peter walking by and his shadow falling on the the, the crippled and the lame caused them to be healed now folks remember acts 1 8 says jesus said this this is not the church this is not church doctrine this is jesus words jesus said but you shall receive power after the holy ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses you want to know what a witness looks like god gives you a definition right here in the bible and with great power gave the apostles witness Of the Lord Jesus. Of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Have witnesses changed? Does God mean something? I mean a lot of the church talks about going witnessing. A lot of the church world talks about being a witness for Jesus. Does that mean something different than than God when God first said it? I don't mean to us. I mean to him. Does he consider a witness to be something different today than what he considered when he said it himself? It wasn't just limited to the hands of the apostles either. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You go back and look at the, the, the surrounding scriptures, you'll find out that, that uh, Stephen was simply a deacon in the church. That means an usher. He's serving tables. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was a low position. It was an esteemed position. The qualifications were high just to serve tables. Full of wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost. Had to have a good reputation. But not a special call to the ministry. Acts chapter 8 and verse 6. Philip, another one of the ushers, the deacons. 
goes down to the city of Samaria, Samaria, and it says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. He's not an apostle. This idea that miracle-working power died when the last apostle did, the apostles weren't the only ones to use it. If it was theirs and theirs alone, it wouldn't have worked for anybody else in their day. If the intent of miracles in the early days of the church was to prove that the apostles had power, why did people outside the apostles have it? Paul says of his own ministry in Acts 14, or I'm sorry, it speaks of Paul's ministry in Acts 14, verse 3, in the city of Iconium. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Wasn't limited to a place either, was it? Paul says of his own ministry in Romans 15, verse 19, through many signs and through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul said to fully preach the gospel. He said the full gospel is with mighty signs and wonders. Well, if that's the full gospel, what do we got today? I think it's half gospel at best. In many cases, just microscopic gospel. Paul says of his own ministry again, second, and uh, I, I skipped one, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul writes, Showing the attitude of miracle working power, he writes to the Galatians, He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now notice Paul doesn't say those special ones that work miracles. He didn't say in case an apostle comes by and does, an, does a miracle, how is he doing it? He talks about it as if it could be anybody in any situation at any time. He that ministers the Spirit, anybody can do that. Anybody can get somebody filled with the Holy Ghost or saved, whichever way you want to interpret that. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And notice he equates that with the working of miracles. They're just as prevalent. If this was inspired by the Holy Ghost, then God expects it to be just as prevalent, just as commonplace. as Someone ministering salvation or the baptism of the Holy Ghost to someone else. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul speaking of himself, he said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Furthermore, he tells us by the Holy Ghost how God has established things in the church. Not just with the twelve, not just with the special ones that were called in the days of the early church. He tells us how God set things up, the organization that God set things up for the body of Christ that includes you and me today. Now, folks, there, there are references to letters that are not saved. For example, we know that from the things that Paul wrote to, in the two letters that we have record of to the Corinthians, we know that he wrote a total of four letters, and not all of them were saved. Now, I'm simple enough to think, and, and you can think anything you want to about this, but I'm simple enough to, to think that the Holy Ghost knew that the church, 2,000 years after these letters were written, would still need instruction. And for that reason, he saved the letters that he saved. 
One of the letters that he didn't save, we know is, is called in theological circles the angry letter. And from what Paul tells us, uh, he looks pretty tough in some of the others to me. But in this angry letter, he dealt specifically with some of the sin that was in the Corinthian church. Well, that might not apply to every church. So it would make sense, in my thinking, for the Holy Ghost, if he's not going to save one, that would be one that we wouldn't have record of. But the ones that we do have record of give us a complete picture. There, has been never, there never has been a time in the history of mankind from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead where the Holy Ghost said, oh, I wish I hadn't let that letter get away. They've been miraculously saved and preserved. Well, think about what the Holy Ghost preserved for us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. I want you to realize, folks, that the Holy Ghost said that miracles were a part of the organizational system in the church. Now, they may not be a part of the organizational system of, of certain denominations, but it's the way God set up the church. Then he tells us about miraculous works in the church and how they will operate. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith, or one translation says special faith, by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh. Thank God they all work. But all these worketh, that one in the selfsame spirit, divided to every man separately as he will. Now, as I said earlier, everything Jesus did was miraculous. Everything Jesus did was not specifically a miracle. But everything he did was miraculous. All of these manifestations, these nine different manifestations of the spirit, every one of them are miraculous. They can be divided into three groups. One group reveals something. One group says something and one group does something. Each of the operations of the Spirit, each of the manifestations of the Spirit is miraculous in nature. For example, the ones that say something, the utterance manifestations. Suddenly, instantly, there are words to speak that there weren't before. Words from the Holy Spirit. Words from the Spirit realm. Revelation. Instantly, suddenly, there is something revealed that was not revealed before. The power gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Some power, some ability is present to perform a work that was not there an instant before. Now, in that sense, each of these are miraculous and each of these would be a miracle because something is being injected into the material realm that was originates in the spirit realm. Whether it be words power or knowledge and Paul said by the Holy Ghost I like to think of it this way the Holy Ghost through Paul tells us how he works 
Well, if that's the way the Holy Ghost is supposed to work in the church, Pastor Mike, why didn't he work like that all the time? Because each one of these operate according to faith. Remember Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5 where Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, He that worketh, that ministers the Spirit among you and worketh miracles, how does he do it? Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The obvious answer is by the hearing of faith. So it takes faith to operate each of these miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. And every miracle Jesus did can be categorized in one of these three categories. One of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. Every work you see in the, in the, the written in the book of Acts about the church can fall into one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. There's nothing that the church did that is outside of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. So if we're talking about miracles being done in the body of Christ, if we're talking about miracles being done in the church, it's going to be one of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. So what should we do? Well, I'm inclined to believe we should develop our faith in the manifestations of the Spirit. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. So what's the necessary key? Should we pray, Pastor Mike? Should we pray for the manifestations of the Spirit? Should we pray for miracles? Well, that's a good thing to do. But if that's all you do, you're not going to have any. Because God confirms His Word with signs follow. God doesn't confirm prayers with signs following. He confirms his word with signs following. If we want miracles, we're going to have to teach on miracles. If we want the miracle working power of God, we're going to have to teach on the availability of the miracle working power of God. Otherwise, there's nothing for anybody to have faith to receive. There's nothing for anybody to have faith in. Are you with me? Folks, I want you to see, turn with me over to James chapter 5. I, I, I hesitate, I intended to go a little bit further this morning, but I hesitate to go much further because I don't want to get partway into something and then not have time to finish it. But I want you to notice something in James chapter 5. James is writing to the church uh, from, from what knowledge we have, and, and it's limited. I, I, I couldn't stand up and say that I know that I know that I know this no matter what, but from what uh, knowledge we have of church history, the book of James is one of the first books of, of the uh, uh, New Testament. We know that James was raised up to be the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He's the half-brother of Jesus. He's not the James of the, the Twelve. You remember Jesus' family um, was sometimes around him, his mother particularly, but for the most part his family didn't believe in him. There was one time where Jesus was in a certain place. Uh, it says he was in a house and uh, word came to him uh, from somebody else that his mother and his brothers were outside wanting him to come outside to see him. And Jesus made mention of the fact that his family were those that put the word of God first. His family the ones, were the ones that were willing to do the word and hear the word. So on another occasion, somebody came up to him, a woman came up to him and said, Boy, your mother must be something. How blessed your mother is to, for, for somebody like you to have a son out of somebody like you. And Jesus said, Well, yeah, she is blessed. But the ones that are blessed are the ones that hear my word and keep it. So Jesus 
half-brother James was not a follower of his, was not a disciple of his when Jesus was here on the earth. But church tradition tells us, and I'm not sure exactly where this comes from, but church tradition tells us that Jesus appeared to James after he was raised from the dead. James got saved and then became the pastor of the church of Jerusalem after a certain number of years. You see in the beginning of the book of Acts where Peter is in charge of the disciples in the church. But by the time Acts 15 comes around, which the, when the council at Jerusalem takes place, and this is probably some 10 to 12 years after um, Acts chapter 2, when the church uh, was... The Holy Ghost was poured out and the church began to grow. Some 10 to 12 years later, James is now the pastor of the church and everybody's coming to him for the decision. Well, he's the pastor that's telling us these things. That's the James that wrote this letter to the church, one of the earliest letters written. And in James chapter 5, James speaks of how the church operates. He says, is any among you afflicted? This is verse 13. Let him pray. Going through a hard place? Pray. He didn't say, is any afflicted, let somebody else pray for him. That's good, but if you don't do your own praying, nothing's going to happen. Is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing songs. You know, I've never had a prayer request come in and say, Pastor Mike, sing for me. God's done great things this week, and I want you to sing. No, when God comes through, everybody's willing to do their own singing. We ought to have the same attitude toward our troubles. We're willing to do our own trouble, our own praying when we're in trouble. Having with the same confidence that God will come through and that prayer, that prayer will turn into singing. Verse 14, is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be. Now, there are going to be people that are afflicted. There are going to be people that are going through hard times, but trouble should pass. I like another thing John Osteen used to say. One of the phrases used in Scripture over and over again is, and it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. Over and over again, the Scripture says, and it came to pass. Thank God it came to pass. Trouble doesn't come to stay. It comes to pass. So there are going to be times where people are afflicted, and that's when they need to pray. And there are going to be times where people are rejoicing because of great victories, and that's when they need to sing their songs. And there are going to be times where you're attacked with sickness. Is any sick among you? But it shouldn't be the normal thing. Well, what do we do? Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. The elders of the church. The elders of the church. There is some connection with church government and healing. Why? Is any sick among you? Let him get the great medical index he can find and get the good doctors. Nothing wrong with doctors. Know a lot of them. Got a lot of them in my church. Glad of it. But is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. There is something about this supernatural organization called the church that's designed to heal the sick. I want that to sink in. It's designed to heal the sick. Now, folks, as we said, everything Jesus did was a miracle. And in one sense, even the smallest, the lightest, Mark chapter 6, verse 5, for example, Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. It says, and he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Now, I know that's blasphemous to some, in some people's thinking because they think Jesus could do anything. But Jesus, if you read the Bible, was limited by the unbelief of others. The power was available. Sure, God could have and would have done anything for them. But because they refused to believe, the power was not made 
available in their case. So it says in John, in um, Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, And he could there do no mighty work, save or except that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks. The word sick is literally the word sickly. Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Word says that word sickly literally means people with, with minor ailments. He could there do no mighty work, save or except he laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and healed them. Well, that's a miracle too, isn't it? I mean, in a general sense, each one of those minor healings would be miraculous. They were sick before he ministered to them. They were well afterwards. That's a miracle. So anything and everything associated with healing is miraculous in nature, although it may not fit the specific and strict definition of a miracle. It's miraculous in nature. Even if it's just a supernatural removing of the barrier to the natural healing process. Still miraculous. Do you understand where I'm coming from on that? I know I'm not getting much reaction from you, and that's okay. I'm not looking for anybody to shout amen. But it would be nice to know that something's sinking in. Okay, we're good then. Thank you. You've done your part. So every healing would be miraculous in nature. And James, as the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, a church of thousands of people, 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, 5,000 people got saved after the result of, uh, or after Acts 3, the healing of the man at the beautiful gate of the temple. Not all of those people lived in Jerusalem, so not all of those people are in the church, but we could conservatively say that thousands of people make up the church in Jerusalem, especially many years later. Thousands of people. He's a pastor of thousands. And he says, here's how it works. He's inspired by the Holy Ghost to tell us, here's how it works. Now, who is he telling? The letter is not written to you, although the Holy Ghost saved it for you. The letter is written to the people in his day. And some people will use that as evidence, so-called evidence. Well, see, that doesn't belong to us today. Then why in the world wasn't God smart enough to delete this page? Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. Was that not for us either? Because in the same sense, the same sentence where he's talking about the works that he did will do also, he's talking about the reason is because he went to the Father. Does Jesus going to the Father not belong to us too? then nobody can be saved. Of course it belongs to us. We may not be living up to it, but it belongs to us. So James says, is any sick among you? What should the sick do? Find out how good their insurance coverage is. Make sure they're signed up for Obamacare. Yeah, that'll fix your life. What should the sick do? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them call for the elders of the church. Folks, I would submit to you that that takes place in a very, very small degree today. I would submit to you that the sick don't look to the church first and foremost. When that was God's intent. Why? Well, again, faith is necessary. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The church doesn't preach that healing is associated with the church. The church doesn't preach that it's part of the organizational structure as set up by the Holy Ghost. The church doesn't teach it. Now I'm talking about the church at large. 
You know I do. But the church world at large doesn't teach these things to be true. And so, from a big picture standpoint, there's a minute degree of faith in healing. The miracle of healing. Yet James says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, let's define elders. Elders literally means the ministry staff of the church. That's what it equates to in today's world, today's church. Whatever the ministry staff is, whether it's one pastor, whether it's a multitude of pastors, whatever it is, it's talking about the ministry staff of the church. Now, notice James is not saying find somebody with a special anointing. This has to mean that it's church-wide, worldwide where the church is concerned. Has to mean that. Otherwise, why wouldn't he say every church should pray that they have somebody on staff or in the body that has a special healing ministry? That's not what he said. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Healing is part and parcel of the church, which means that miracle power is. I doubt very seriously if it took any greater power or effort or energy on Jesus' part to walk on water than it did heal the sick. I mean, when Jesus walks on the water, he says, the scripture says that he saw the disciples toiling and rowing. It didn't say Jesus was sweating great drops of blood trying to stay on top of the water. When Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fishes, the disciples get a Twitter about that. Well, what are we going to do? Jesus said, give it to the people. He prayed, broke bread. All of a sudden it starts multiplying in the baskets that the disciples are holding. Jesus didn't break a sweat. I believe it was miraculous when the people tried to kill Jesus, but he walked through the midst of them. They couldn't see him. I don't see Jesus breaking a sweat on that one. It was not energy on Jesus' part that caused the miracle working power of God to work. Was it? We sure don't have record of it. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them, the elders, pray over him, the sick, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Please notice it's not the elders that save the sick. The word save is the word translated heal. It's the word translated make whole. I don't know if this was beyond what the translators were able to accept or what. I don't know why they translated it save instead of heal. Because they used the same word and translated it heal many other times in the New Testament. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. It's not the elders that save the sick. It's not the oil that saves the sick. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. To be healed is to be saved from sickness, isn't it? And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. The prayer of faith puts the Lord to work to raise him up from the sickness. Now, whether you know this or not, this is just as much an ordinance of the church as as communion. This is an ordinance of the church. This is an unchanging law. This is how the Holy Ghost said 
that he set it up to work. Jesus is the builder of the church. The Holy Ghost is the one that manifests his power in his presence. In other words, the Lord raising him up means the power of the Holy Ghost will be made available to heal this person. It's the way God works today. He works by the power of the Holy Ghost. He goes even further and says, Now if the prayer of faith shall heal the sick and the Lord shall raise him up, and if, and if, everybody say if, And if he has committed sins. See, some sickness, we get ourselves in some physical conditions because we don't obey the word. Sin is disobedience. There's just no way to sugarcoat that. I know everybody in today's society wants everything they do to be okay because they want to do it. Well, it's not a matter of what I want to do. Folks, there's a lot of things I want to do that are contrary to the word of God. Now, when I say I, I don't mean me from the inside. I don't mean my spirit. I mean my flesh. My flesh wants to do a lot of things that are contrary to the word. But that's not me. But it still comes down to am I obeying or disobeying? Sin is disobedience. Everybody wants to talk about homosexuality. Well, what's your position on gay rights? Folks, there's a lot of sexual sin mentioned in the Bible, not just homosexuality. I'm waiting for people to take the same position on adultery as they take on homosexuality. Where's the adultery lobby? Where's the National Association of Adulterers in their political arm? <laughs> One sexual sin is not worse than another. But sin is sin. Whether you want to call it that or not. And, and, and the idea that the church doesn't call it sin keeps it from being sin is just not true it's sin no matter what you call it well you're just judgmental actually i can just read (laughs) i'm not the one making the decision well you can't possibly believe in a in a book that's thousands of years old i absolutely believe in a thousand year old book this thousand year old book Oh, is the world upside down or what? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, some sicknesses are caused by our own wrongdoing. But even that doesn't disqualify you for healing. And if he's committed sins, they shall, 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 not might, not we hope so, shall be forgiven him. So please notice the same prayer of faith that brings healing is the prayer of faith that brings forgiveness of sins. If we had an altar call and asked people to come back and rededicate their lives to the Lord, those that have been uh, in what we call backsliders have been living in their own way instead of God's way, we come to the altar and tell them or invite them to come to the altar and tell them without a doubt, God will forgive you. Without a question, without a shadow of a doubt, God will forgive you of your sins. <clears throat> How do we know that? Because the Bible says so. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What would we do to obtain that? 
Pray the prayer of faith. Just confess, Lord, I missed it. And according to your words, you forgive me, so I thank you that I'm forgiven. That's it. It's not some special formula. It's not some hard thing. You don't have to sweat great drops of blood. You don't have to pray for hours and hours. It's just simple confession and acceptance. In the same way, the Bible says that same exact prayer of faith heals the sick because of the organizational structure of the church that contains miracles. Not one bit of difference. Not one ounce of difference. Not one. You're still out there? How could anybody that's intelligent enough to read the Bible possibly conclude that the God that never changes doesn't work miracles today? Or that healing is not part and parcel of the work of the church? That miracles have somehow passed away because some human beings died? Meaning the apostles. Where do we get that? I'll tell you where we got it. I'll tell you where the church got it. The church got it as uh, a means of making excuses for why they weren't having works. The works of Jesus done in their lives. Excuses are one of the most deadly things on the planet. Because excuses, making excuses, trying to come up with some kind of excuse will cause you to think wrong every time. And wrong thinking leads to wrong believing. The wrong believing is unbelief. It stops the power of God. Now you may be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Mike, what are you going to do? You're teaching on miracles. You're teaching on healing. You're going to have a healing line. You're going to do a miracle. Well, if it was up to me and if miracles turned on and on like the light switch, I would. But I think as a foundation, it's more important for us to start seeing and accepting that miracles are a part of our DNA as believers. And folks, I've got to tell you something. I'm not interested in doing a miracle so you'll think I'm something. I think you've got me figured out already, whether that be good or bad. The Bible doesn't say these things so that I as an individual can make a name for myself. The Bible says these things so that the believers, remember Jesus said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. That's not some hard thing. We've talked about that before. That's not some hard thing to do. Believing in his name is what you did to get saved. And if you are a Christian, you are a believer in his name and therefore a candidate to do the same works that he did whether it be walking on water, multiplying loaves and fishes, healing the sick, or even raising the dead. One work of God is the same as another because it's God that does the work. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have fallen so far short as a church body. 
I don't mean us as, a, as an individual church. I mean the church worldwide. We have fallen so far short of what you've made available for us. Healing and miracles. The supernatural and the miraculous are a part of our makeup. Because we've been created, recreated in the image of Jesus. Father, it seems to me, and I believe this is the witness of the Holy Ghost. It seems to me that we're entering a day where the glory of the Lord must be seen on the earth. I recognize that glory, which is spoken of in Jesus' ministry, was miracle power. It's not all it was, but it sure included it. Lord, I'm following what you told me to do by the Holy Ghost. And I'll continue to do it. I'll do it forever if necessary. But Lord, once the word is taught, it's up to you to do something in the hearts of the hearers. I pray for each and every one of us, myself included, that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. That we would see the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. That miracle working power that heals the sick, that casts out devils, that breaks every work of the evil one. Father, I pray that the church in the last days would be a place of peace, such a place of peace that the world in turmoil shaken from its foundations, would run to for healing, for deliverance, for all of the blessings of God. Father, I pray that you do whatever you need to do with us so that we would be one of those places. Jesus, you said you're waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And you have long patience for it. Well, we know that's true. Until you receive the early and the latter rain. That early and latter rain, that move of the Holy Ghost, has to be a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It has to be a wave of these nine manifestations of the Spirit. So, Father, we pray that there would be an increase among us. Not just us. We're not praying selfishly. We pray this for every church that names the name of Jesus. But we don't want to be left out either. So we pray that there would be an increase in manifestations of power, gifts of healings, working of miracles, and special faith. That there would be an increase in manifestations of revelation, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. And that there would be an increase... In manifestations of utterance, prophecy, diversities of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. That we might see by the Holy Spirit. That we might speak by the Holy Spirit. And that we might act by the Holy Spirit in a greater way than we ever have before. To glorify the name of Jesus. To break the power of sickness and disease. 
to set people free from the bondage of the enemy. We pray these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There's a different presence of God here this morning, isn't there? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? As we wait in the presence of God for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to search your hearts. If there's anyone here today that you can't point to a time, a specific moment in time where you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you can't say with absolute certainty that if this were your last day to spend on the earth and death came upon you suddenly, that you know, that you know, that you know, you'd go instantly into the presence of the Father in heaven. If you don't know either one of those things, are not sure I'm going to invite you to make today that time that one time event where you come into the family of God heads are bowed and eyes are closed nobody's looking around if that's your desire if you're willing to make Jesus the Lord of your life for the first time Or to settle it once and for all in your heart. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand right where you are. Yes, ma'am. Are there others? Pray for me, Pastor Mike. That's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. We're going to lead you in the prayer that will change your life. All right, I have another invitation. Maybe you're in the group that would say, well, I know I've done that before, so I don't feel right about raising my hand to do that again. I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I haven't lived for him. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. And I'm tired of doing that. Even the things that have seemed to work out right have been absent of joy. And I want to make things right with the Lord. Once and for all. I want to come back to Him like the prodigal son did. I want to return to my father's house. The Bible says that just as the father of the prodigal son was watching down the road every day for his son to return, that's God's attitude toward us. He's not looking to make it hard on us. It's the easiest thing in the world to return and to fellowship with God. All it takes is simply asking him to forgive you. And he'll restore you back to that place like it was before you ever left. There's nothing to be held over your head. 
There's no guilt. There's no condemnation to overcome. He restores you like it had never happened. So if you're here this morning and say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I'm already born again, but I want to return into fellowship with my Heavenly Father. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just right where you are. Yes, thank you. Yes, several. Okay. You put your hands down. One last invitation. If you know you're a child of God, whether in fellowship or out of fellowship with God, but you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You want to be filled with the power that Jesus said would receive after the Holy Ghost has come upon us to be witnesses unto Him to the ends of the earth. You receive that by faith just like you received your salvation. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I want to speak with tongues, which is the evidence of that infilling. And I want to receive it today. Would you raise your hand, please, so we know who we're praying for? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. All right. Good. You can put your hands down. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'll take just another moment with this. We found a way that is, we found to be very successful in people receiving from God. So I'm going to ask you, if you raised your hand on any of those three invitations, or if you didn't, but you know you should have, I want to ask you and only you to open your eyes and look up here at me so I can talk to you for a moment. I want to explain to you what we're going to do, and I want to explain to you why. We're not interested in embarrassing anybody. In fact, that would make it harder for you to receive. And so for that reason, I'm not going to call you up to the front in front of everybody. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to go to a prayer room, a room we've designated for you to be prayed for and to receive. It's just off the lobby. Just a few steps off the front entrance there. And the reason that we do it that way is because some of you are coming for different reasons. Some of you may need to be ministered to individually. And if so, then that will be a place that's available for that. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to follow the gentleman that has his hand raised by the back door. He's going to take you to the prayer room, gather your things. If you came with somebody and you want them to go with you, just tap them on the shoulder. They'll be glad to go with you. But I'm going to ask you, if you meant business with God, to gather your belongings and step out from where you're seated And meet that gentleman right there with his hand raised up. He'll lead you to that place of prayer. You'll be ministered to. And you'll receive from the Lord. Not a shadow of doubt in the world about it. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Let's all stand. Let's pray for these five people that went to the prayer room. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that your word says that those that come to you, you will in no wise, for no reason, under no circumstance, turn them away. So we thank you, Father, that each and every one of them receives from you, whether it be salvation, restoration to fellowship, or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Father, for an anointing upon the workers in there so that they receive simply and easily. We thank you for freedom in the Spirit of God. 
so that they speak with ease as they receive the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you for the miraculous. And we don't want to take anything for granted, Lord. We recognize that people's lives being changed, even if it's just restored to fellowship, is a miraculous work. It's a change of spirit, an eternal change. And we thank you for it, Lord. But, Lord, I want to let you know what I've told you many, many times. I'm not going to be satisfied with just that. Even as Father Nash prayed about revivals. And he said, Lord, you don't think we're not going to have a revival here, do you? I say, Lord, because I know your will. You don't think we're not going to have miracles in this place, do you, Lord? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your expressed will. We thank you that miracles are a part of our makeup. We thank you that the church is a supernatural, even a miraculous body. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say this after me. Thank God for miracles. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.